In my home church of refuge, we have been doing a sermon series on kings and the kingdom. We've been looking at the different kings of Judah who are part of the ancestral line of, of Jesus Christ. We've been looking at some of the things that we see happening in their lives and also some of the things we see Jesus teaching us in the New Testament about how he will reign as our great king, learning from all that. So this morning we're going to be looking at first a, a passage from Second Chronicles 30 where we see King Hezekiah of Judah celebrating the Passover. Then we're also going to turn to the New Testament and we're going to read of the time that Jesus met a tax collector named Zacchaeus. We'll see the lessons there that God has for us. So first from 2 Chronicles chapter 30, where we see the Passover celebrated. Hezekiah sent to all Israel and Judah and wrote letters also to Ephraim and Manasseh that they should come to the house of the Lord at Jerusalem to keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel. For the king and his princes and all the assembly in Jerusalem had taken counsel to keep the Passover in the second month. For they could not keep it at that time, that is in the first month when it should have been celebrated, because the priests had not consecrated themselves in sufficient number, nor had the people assembled in Jerusalem. And the plan seemed right to the king and all the assembly. So they decreed to make a proclamation throughout all Israel from Beersheba to Dan that the people should come and keep the Passover to the Lord, the God of Israel, at Jerusalem. For they had not kept it as often as prescribed. So couriers went throughout all Israel and Judah with letters from the king and his princes, as the king had commanded, saying, O people of Israel, return to the Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, that he may turn again to the remnant of you who have escaped from the hand of the kings of Assyria. Do not be like your fathers and your brothers who were faithless to the Lord God of their fathers, that he made them a desolation, as you see. Do not now be stiff-necked as your fathers were, but yield yourselves to the Lord and come to his sanctuary, which he has consecrated forever. And serve the Lord your God, that his fierce anger may turn away from you. For if you return to the Lord, your brothers and your children will find compassion with their captors and return to this land. For the Lord your God is gracious and merciful and will not turn his face from you if you return to him. So the couriers went from city to city through the country of Ephraim and Manasseh and as far as Zebulun. But they laughed or they laughed them to scorn and mocked them. However, some men of Asher, of Manasseh, and of Zebulun humbled themselves and came to Jerusalem. The hand of God was also on Judah to give them one heart to do what the king and the princes commanded by the word of the Lord. And many people came together in Jerusalem to keep the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the second month, a very great assembly. They set to work and removed the altars that were in Jerusalem and all the altars for burning incense. They took away and threw them into the brook of Kidron. They slaughtered the Passover lamb on the 14th day of the second month. And the priests and the Levites were ashamed so that they consecrated themselves and brought burnt offerings into the house of the Lord. 
They took their accustomed posts according to the law of Moses, the man of God. The priests threw the blood that they received from the hand of the Levites. For there were many in the assembly who had not consecrated themselves. Therefore the Levites had to slaughter the Passover lamb for everyone who was not clean to consecrate it to the Lord. For a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves. Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people of Israel who were present at Jerusalem kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. And Hezekiah spoke encouragingly to all the Levites who showed good skill in the service of the Lord. So they ate the food of the festival for seven days, sacrificing peace offerings and giving thanks to the Lord, the God of their fathers. Then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. So they kept it for another seven days with gladness. For Hezekiah, king of Judah, gave the assembly a thousand bulls and seven thousand sheep for offerings. And the princes gave the assembly one thousand bulls and ten thousand sheep. And the priests consecrated themselves in great numbers. The whole assembly of Judah and the priests and the Levites and the whole assembly that came out of Israel and the sojourners who came out of the land of Israel and the sojourners who lived in Judah rejoiced. So there was great joy in Jerusalem. For since the time of Solomon, the son of David, king of Israel, there had been nothing like this in Jerusalem. Then the priests and the Levites arose and blessed the people, and their voice was heard, and their prayer came to his holy habitation in heaven. Now when all this was finished, all Israel who were present went out to the cities of Judah and broke in pieces the pillars and cut down the ashram and broke down the high places and the altars throughout all Judah and Benjamin and Ephraim and Manasseh until they had destroyed them all. Then all the people of Israel returned to their cities, each man to his possession. That's a reading from Second Chronicles 30. Along with that, we read from Luke chapter 19, the first nine verses. There we read the word of the Lord again. He, that is Jesus, entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. And he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could not, because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him, for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried, came down, and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, 
Behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. Let me stop reading there. As a song of preparation, I invite you to join me now in singing together Psalm 4, the stanzas 1 and 3. sermon this afternoon, we're going to be focusing in particular on 2 Chronicles 30, the verses 18 to 21. This is a reminder there we read, for a majority of the people, many of them from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, and Zebulun, had not cleansed themselves, 
Yet they ate the Passover otherwise than as prescribed. For Hezekiah had prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. And the Lord heard Hezekiah and healed the people. And the people in Israel who were present in Jerusalem kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with great gladness. And the Levites and the priests praised the Lord day by day, singing with all their might to the Lord. A congregation... One of the common phrases that we like to use in the Vischer household is progress over perfection. Uh, It's something we apply to all sorts of situations, uh, like my efforts at cooking or basic home repair. You know, something might not have gone well, like the meatballs I tried to cook on a Wednesday night that were still half frozen when I put them on the table because I messed up the directions for Celsius and Fahrenheit on the package. But you can say, hey, it was all part of learning a, a new meal, a new recipe. There was still some personal growth. So progress over Perfection. I believe that is a statement that is especially relevant to our Christian life. As followers of Jesus Christ, who are seeking to to grow closer to God, to be better at doing His will every day, we need to see the importance of progress over perfection. Because as believers, we can anticipate being constantly renewed, made stronger. We can expect that God is going to work greater spiritual maturity in us. But as long as we live, we are not going to achieve perfection. We are going to be battling certain sins. There are going to be failures. Perfection isn't going to be achieved in our daily walk with God. But to a degree, we can say that's okay. Our calling is not perfection. Our calling is to aim for the progress. We have a God who wants us, yes, to live in step with the Spirit. He wants us to be putting to death sins, you know, what's sometimes called the the old nature. He wants us to be learning more and more each day to love him and to love the people around us. We can't love God perfectly, but we can seek to love him more and more. We can't love the people around us perfectly. It's just not going to happen. But we can seek to be better at loving them more and more. And God, for his part, 
He recognizes this, that this is going to be our experience in life. He knows we can't be perfect. That's why he sent Jesus. That's why he sent his eternal beloved son to come and be a perfect human being who lived a perfect life and then offered himself as a perfect sacrifice to save us all. God knew perfection wasn't going to happen, you know, on our part, and so he sends Jesus to take care of the perfect. And simply calls on us to recognize Jesus and pursue the progress. It's why God pardons or forgives people as soon as they ask. God grants forgiveness even to the imperfect seeker. You know, the person who who hardly knows him or what pleases him. Why God can say to that person who's gotten down on their knees for the first time and said, forgive me, and God can forgive them at that very moment. And he's not going to put them on a trial period and say, well, let's see how it goes for the next couple years before we assume that any forgiveness is being handed out. Now we might say that person instantly in that moment, having gone to God, asked for his forgiveness in the name of Jesus Christ, can expect to have it. Because we have a God who isn't so much interested in where we've been as where we're heading. A God who is interested in the direction we are going. Now perhaps you've heard the parable of the prodigal son. I understand that what, two months ago or so, uh, Pastor Tim preached on the parable of the prodigal son in this church. Maybe you were there. If you don't, I'll give you just a brief refresher. There was a man. He has a terrible son. He has two sons, but we're just going to talk about the really terrible one, the first terrible one. And this son is so terrible that he, he goes to his father and he says, I want my share of the property, i.e. I want my inheritance early, which was basically the ancient equivalent of saying, I wish you were dead. I have no need of you. This son takes his inheritance, moves away, blows it all, partying in a foreign country. He soon goes broke. He is soon completely alone. He didn't have any real friends. He hits rock bottom, Decides that what he's going to do is go back to his father, beg for whatever mercy he might receive. You know, maybe his dad will take him back as a hired servant. And we're told that while he was still a long way off, you know, while he is in the distance approaching the family farm, his father saw him and felt compassion, and he ran and embraced and kissed him. Even before the son gets to admit his faults, beg for forgiveness, before the son has said a single word, the father is running to him, embracing him, kissing him, welcoming him back. You might say, why? Well, because his father saw that he was going in the right direction. He was coming home. In a sense, no matter what the son would say to him, 
That father recognized that his son was progressing in the right direction and wants to encourage him, embrace him in it. You know, if you're someone where you you turn away from God, don't be surprised if he kind of lets you go. If he doesn't send you a personalized letter asking you to come back. But if you take the smallest step toward God, don't be surprised when his love comes pouring out upon you like a flood. Because that is the kind of God we have. In our text from 2 Chronicles, we have some imperfect seekers. That's what we're going to call them, imperfect seekers. In our text, King Hezekiah, he wanted to invite people from the the northern kingdom of Israel to celebrate the Passover. He ruled over the southern kingdom of Judah. He invited some of the northern cousins, so to speak, to attend a festival, the Passover one of the great festivals of the Old Testament law. When people of Israel, they celebrated their deliverance from Egypt. Now, most of the people who are invited by Hezekiah, they turn down the invitation. Now, we're told about couriers going from city to city, and we're told that many of the people in those cities laughed at the couriers, mocked them. Like, we're not going to join your festival, your feast But some accept the invitation. Some, after hundreds of years of kind of doing their own thing up north, worshiping, you know, the Lord through the use of golden calves and goat idols and unqualified priests, some of those Israelites, recognizing that at that time things hadn't been going so well in Israel, Lots of invasions from up north, the Assyrians. Some of the Israelites decide that maybe it's worth trying to do things God's way. Maybe it's worth seeking him at his earthly dwelling place, Jerusalem. By the time things were ready for the feast, it seems there was actually quite a crowd of them. And they were allowed to participate even though many of them had kind of forgotten how it was all supposed to be done. Now, you were supposed to purify yourself before going to the Passover feast. Purification, it basically meant you were supposed to wash yourself. You were supposed to wash your clothes in water. It wasn't a particularly complicated thing to purify yourself, but it was the sort of thing you needed to think about in advance. Because back then, people did not have washing machines in their homes. No one had showers. You couldn't just travel down to Jerusalem and then check into your hotel and take a bath or anything like that. And this failure to purify themselves, this kind of forgetting about the whole purification aspect, we might say it reflects just how far those, those Israelites, you know, it kind of strayed from God. It strayed from following his laws, his rules, his expectations. Even if they had some vague sense of what God wanted of them, they had forgotten a lot of the specifics. In some ways, that might reflect our own cultural moment. 
For us now, we are somewhat living in kind of a post-Christian age here in Canada. Where you have a lot of people who, as far as Christianity is concerned, can say, well, that's something that my, you know, parents did when they were young, or maybe my grandparents did. I'm not really sure what's all involved. We have people who have a sense of what Christians believe or do, but, but the details are somewhat fuzzy. Maybe that's your story sitting here this afternoon. Now, maybe you're someone where maybe you, you know, when you were a kid, you got taken to a church a couple times. Or, you know, as a kid growing up, occasionally your parents maybe, you know, mentioned some Bible stories to you or they prayed at the supper table. And then you kind of strayed away for a time. And, and now later on in life, you're kind of coming back to church and trying to figure out what exactly it's all about. Maybe you somewhat feel like one of those imperfect seekers, someone who wants to know more about God but really isn't exactly sure what you're supposed to be doing right now. Well, I encourage you to consider what happens with the seekers in Second Chronicles 30, where we're told that those unpurified people from up north were nonetheless allowed to participate. People from Ephraim, Manasseh, Issachar, Zebulun. They had not cleansed themselves. They had not followed all the steps. And yet they are still allowed to eat the Passover. And you might say, why? Why can the rules just be kind of ignored? It's just for them, this represented progress over perfection. For them to be celebrating the Passover... A feast commemorating when God took his people out of Egypt. God's greatest act of liberation in the Old Testament. This was a a huge sign of them starting to get back on track, as it were. And they had to their benefit a mediator to speak on their behalf. They had someone there to help close the gap between, or the gap of, their imperfections, so to speak. For we're told that King Hezekiah prayed for them, saying, May the good Lord pardon everyone who sets his heart to seek God, the Lord, the God of his fathers, even though not according to the sanctuary's rules of cleanness. So maybe you're new to Christianity in general, or just new to Sardis Church in particular. Maybe you're still getting a sense of how things are done here. Maybe you're struggling to figure out what's all going on in the Bible and what the Christian life is is supposed to look like. Maybe you look around and you feel like other people in the chairs have maybe a better sense of of what's supposed to be happening or how you're supposed to be living. But know that you belong here. Know that you are welcome here. Sardis Church is glad you're here. They are excited that you are interested in seeking the Lord with them, with us. 
Because at the end of the day, we are all imperfect seekers who get to rejoice that we have been pardoned because of what Jesus Christ, our Passover lamb, has done. And we all get to rejoice that that we have Jesus as a mediator speaking on our behalf. And we're all simply trusting that Jesus Christ is covering the many imperfections which remain in all of us. You know, if you look at this Passover celebration in our text, you'll, you'll see that the entire thing was disjointed. Like, we're focusing a little bit on the, the imperfect speakers from up north and, and how they're allowed to attend even though they made some mistakes. But really, the entire feast here is a mess. You know, it's being celebrated a, a month late because so many people failed to show up and the priests and the Levites weren't ready in time. There's a delay because so many of them hadn't been consecrated. And the Passover sacrifices, they have to be, you know, slaughtered by the Levites rather than by the ordinary people who were supposed to do it. Because so many of the other people, even the ones from Judah, had failed to to properly purify themselves. It's like a big Thanksgiving dinner where everybody shows up late. And most of those who do show up have failed to take a bath, let alone gotten around to washing their hands. And most of the food hasn't been prepped. And so it's kind of falling to the host family to try to just throw everything together at the last moment. And the guests don't even recognize each other because half of the guests are kind of from that branch of the family which, you know, never bothered to show up for several hundred years. But despite this, everyone has such an amazing time, such a joy-filled time that they all agree that they're going to get together and do it all again the very next day. This Thanksgiving dinner, everyone's having such a grand time and experiencing such great joy. They're all asking, why don't we do this more often? That's what's going on in 2 Chronicles 30. We're told the people of Israel who are present for that feast. They celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread, which is the feast that goes seven days and kind of ends with the Passover on the last day. They celebrate for seven days. They're singing with all their might to the Lord. And then we read, verse 23, then the whole assembly agreed together to keep the feast for another seven days. And so they kept it for another seven days with gladness. It was an imperfect celebration, but it represented progress. And so God blessed it as such. God's people were seeking the Lord once again, flaws and all, and God responds, blessing it in abundance so that great joy was experienced by all. Now, it needs to be remembered that we are all counting on Jesus Christ 
to close the gap between our imperfect faith and imperfect actions and the perfection which God ought to receive from us. As the letter of Hebrews tells us, we do not have a a high priest, someone on our side, who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect has been tempted as we are yet without sin. Let us then with confidence draw near to the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in time of need. We have a God who intends to perfect us in the fullness of time. But he isn't looking for perfection before he accepts us as one of his. He doesn't expect perfection after we are clearly one of his. Rather, he calls on us constantly to be progressing towards him, trusting he will be doing everything necessary to bring us home. In Luke 19, in the New Testament, we have another imperfect seeker. There we have one named Zacchaeus. He was someone that everyone looked down upon, literally and figuratively. Literally, because he was short. Figuratively, because he was a chief tax collector. He was a real prince of thieves from the Jewish perspective. His neighbors call him, in his hearing, a sinner. But we're told he was someone who was also seeking to see who Jesus was. He was so eager to see Jesus. We're told he did two things Jewish men never did. He ran and he climbed a tree. Both the sort of actions that grown men did not do back then. You never ran anywhere if you were an adult Jewish man. That's why it's surprising that Zacchaeus runs. It's surprising that the father of the prodigal son runs. Scandalous behavior. Zacchaeus runs, climbs a tree like he's a little boy. As far as we know, his enthusiasm for seeking Jesus, it wasn't because he needed healing, like so many of those who called out to Jesus or sought his help. No, he didn't seem to need anything from Jesus in the physical sense. He seemed to be healthy. He was certainly wealthy. So why does he want to see Jesus? Clearly, it must have been something about the message. Something about the good news Jesus was preaching and talking about, the coming of the kingdom of God. Zacchaeus was, in other words, someone who was seeking God. What happens to this most imperfect of seekers? We're told that when Jesus reached the spot where Zacchaeus was up the tree, Jesus looks up to him and says, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down, for I must stay at your house today. Simply for seeking Jesus, Jesus himself invites himself over into this man's home. He says, I want to spend time with you. I want to get to know you better. I want to teach you. 
And that offended most people, offended the crowd. And people are muttering, he has gone in to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. Because the people in that crowd, they were more interested in perfection than progress. Perfection, at least according to their social standards. You know, perfect with regard to the laws that they considered really important. Which is something we can be guilty of as Christians. You know, that we can kind of tell ourselves, well, we're, we're good Christians because we follow, you know, these commandments and these instructions which we've decided are most important and most critical. Maybe never mind all those other commandments over there. Now, those things maybe we write off as respectable sins or those things where we say, well, you know, lots of people struggle with that. So let's not get hung up on that or define ourselves before God by that. Sometimes we forget about progress over perfection. We try to come up with a list of rules in our minds which allow us to think, I'm a good person though good person before God. I have done the Christian thing. But it's not about us trying to convince ourselves that that we can achieve a standard that we can stand before God on our own. The Christian life isn't about reading through the Bible and picking out the commandments that most appeal to us, which we think we can most easily achieve and being like, all right, these are the ones I'm now going to live by. Those ones over there, eh. We sometimes forget it's okay that we are not perfect. That is to be expected that we are not perfect. But we're to seek is the progress. We're to seek, or what we're to do is to recognize the need to fight, to flee all of our sins, all of our weaknesses, whatever they might be. Whatever our greatest sin or weakness might be in our life, that's where we should start. Now look at what Zacchaeus does. Someone who is wealthy, someone who as a tax collector would have had a reputation for being a thief. The thing Zacchaeus says in response to Jesus inviting himself over is, you know, Lord, half of my goods I give to the poor, And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Zacchaeus wasn't perfect. He couldn't be perfect. But he could make progress. Progress is evidence of where he was putting his hope. What does the Son of God say in response? Well, Jesus says to him, Today salvation has come to this house, since he also is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. We must understand that we have a God who loves to show mercy and who so quickly shows it to anyone who seeks it from him. In 2 Chronicles 30.20, we're told that the people heard Hezekiah's prayer for the unconsecrated people of the north and healed the people. God healed not necessarily their bodies, 
We aren't told about any diseases or illnesses. But rather we might see their hearts and their spirits. God took people who had been beaten down by their life, by their experiences, by the fact that their nation had been invaded multiple times, many of their family members had been dragged into exile. But they saw that in response to their very first steps back to God, God works great joy in their hearts, allows them to have hope once again. In response to their their tiny action of imperfectly attending a celebration of the Passover, God confirms to them that he is indeed that God who pours out mercy and grace on all those who seek it from him. All those who seek his favor, even with their many imperfections. For we have a God because of his faithfulness to who he is, his faithfulness to his plan, his faithfulness to his promises brings his people home. Amen.